it was a struggle for me. So I'm grateful to, um, to be able to get this sermon to you guys. And it is a continuation of the last time we were here. When we talked about how God orders our steps. And, you know, as I was thinking more and more about this sermon, as I was thinking about this reality, you know, I become more and more aware that we do live in a world that actually does think that we live and then we exist, you know, really off of chance, off of luck, and that all the things that happen in life, much of the world believes is just a random series of events. And so I've, I've, I think I've realized, and maybe you've realized that, you know, as the world deals more and more with helplessness and hopelessness, the reality of that is that that's because the world cannot find any meaning or purpose in the things that they go through because they think, you know, there is no God who is in control. There is no rhyme or reason for the good things that happen. There is no rhyme or reason for the bad things that happen. So we are just kind of floating right until our death. And I really, really want you to grasp today, if you don't grasp anything else out of this sermon, that every step that you have ever made in life Every step you have ever taken in life has been divinely orchestrated, preordained by a sovereign God who is in control. That means every misstep, every mistake was all according to his plan. And so the ultimate thing, and Charles Stanley has a really remarkable quote, and it's so true. He says, anything that leads you to God is good. Anything that leads you to God inevitably must be good, whether it's a death in your family, whether it's your own affliction of cancer, no matter the case, whatever will lead you to God must be good, even if at the time it feels bad. And so I want you to think about today at the conclusion of this sermon, I really want you to reflect on your life and I want you to see all of these little things that happen all of these steps that happened that at the time you didn't realize were working together, I want you to look back and see, you know, that's what God was working together in my life. And I didn't realize it back then, but now I see how he was working that together. And the reason I want you to do that is because we're going to see in this sermon today how God is working together the steps of Paul's life. But it also should give you confidence and joy and hope that as you are walking through the journey of life currently and as you make some wrong steps or go around some winding roads, that inevitably God is in control of where you are. So look with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 24, verse 22. Acts chapter 24, we're looking at verse number 22, verse number 22. And it reads, it says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the Tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some freedom and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. And um, she was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and actually said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. 
At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, God. Please help us see clearly how you are working together the steps of Paul's life, how everything um, he endured, everything he went through, even before he knew you, God, was all according to your sovereign plan for his life. God, help us see in our own lives that where we are is not out of your control, but it is as you have led us and as you've directed us. Help us see that there is a a pattern that you are establishing in our life, and we hope inevitably it leads us to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so again, I want you to see that in everything that happened in Paul's life, God was ordering and orchestrating every single step that he took. And it is one of those quotes, and I told my dad I wouldn't quote Martin Luther King today, but I'm making this mistake in doing so. He has said that faith is taking the next step when you can't see that next step, when you can't see where the staircase is leading you. And that is the epitome of the Christian life is that we are always walking, as we know the Bible says, by faith. And not by sight. But I don't know that we actually know what that really feels like in our lives. Many of us will say, I'm walking by faith. I'm not walking by sight. But yet we make the crucial decisions in our life based on what we rationally see and know and understand. Not trusting that everything that God does may not be good to us, but inevitably it must be good for us. And that is such a difficult thing for us to realize because we are increasingly what they call the microwave generation. We want it now. We want it instantly. Give it to me now. I don't want to invest in my future. I don't want to go to college. I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to do these things that are all a part of the process of me becoming. I want everything I desire now. What does Veronica Salt say? Veronica Salt say, I want it now. She wanted everything she had at that moment. But the reality is, is that anything that comes to you fast probably ain't as good for you as you think it is. And so we have to in turn learn that if God in the nature of who he is, is procedural, right? Which means everything that he is teaching me and showing me in life is a part of a process, Now, if you are a Christian, I can tell you what that process is. That process is called sanctification. That's the process where I'm going through life. But as I go through life, I'm looking less like me and I'm looking more like him. How does God do that? God does that through good and bad things that happen in our lives. But one of the things that we have to remember, because we are fallen in our nature, is that most of the good things aren't really good until we've had to suffer through the bad things. Isn't that right? Like we all think, oh, we would trust God if we didn't if we didn't have to, if everything was going well. But the reality is, is that if God never showed you brokenness, if God never showed you sickness, if God never showed you death, if God never showed you all of these things, abuse, divorce, loss, if God never showed you all these things and all you had was good things, then you would think in our fallenness, I'm responsible for everything that's happening. 
and it gives you no reason to trust in God. And so what we see is a very interesting thing here in Paul's life, because I want you to understand if Paul was looking at his life, engaging his relationship with God, just based on how he was prospering in the earth, he would have been a failure. If he says, all right, God, where do I stand with you? And he's like, OK, I see these bars. I see Felix. I've seen Drusilla. She's come in. And then two years passes. Right. And he's still in prison. And if he's gauging his life just on where he is in the moment, then he's actually missing the goodness of who God is. And that is such a common factor in the Christian life that in the moments of despair and desperation and and loss and affliction and tribulation, we actually miss the goodness of God. I brought it up before, but it really is vital to for me to bring it up again. When they were in the wilderness, when I preached that sermon in the wilderness, And they're thinking, we have not gotten the grace of God. We have not gotten the mercy of God. God, you only brought us here to suffer to the point they said, look, you brought us out here to die. We would have been better if you left us as slaves in Egypt because this cannot be your will. Why do they think that wasn't the will of God? Because they were suffering. But what does God respond to them by saying? He says, but yeah, but did you notice that while you were in the wilderness that you actually never went hungry? That I fed you with manna that you didn't know. Did you notice? I bet you didn't notice that you've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Why are your clothes still intact? Did you know I was taking care of you? Have you noticed that you've been walking? You know, you got no orthopedic surgeon, nothing. Your feet have not swollen up since you've been out here. That's nobody but the grace and the mercy of God. And so what my challenge to you as you are wrestling in the trials and tribulations and the downcasting feelings that you may feel in your life. Don't look at what's going wrong. Look at how God is providing in the midst of where you are. And no, I'm not prosperity and I'm not saying that because God will see your sacrifice and see your service and see your faithfulness that he's going to bless you earthly. No, I can't make that promise. But what I can say is that the Christian life is one that even in the midst of trials has his eyes set on eternity. Which means if I have to go through hell on earth, I'll never have to go through hell again. That's the beautiful part of the Christian journey. And so we see all of this. We see Felix come in to Paul. We see Drusilla come in to Paul. And, you know, one one component to this, which is really important, is that these are historical names. So if anybody doubts that any of this really happened, all of this was written within 30 years of his happening. So these people, for for large part, are not dead. And they're writing about real figures here. And we see them come in to Paul and they're talking to Paul. Who is Felix? Felix is actually married to Drusilla. That's his that's his third wife. She's his second husband. She is only probably 19. She had already been married at 14 in an arranged marriage. Just so we understand, you know, what what's the relationship here? They are, you know, related to Herod Antipas. You say, well, who is Herod Antipas? Do you remember when John the Baptist confronted a Herod? 
about the fact that he had an illicit relationship with his stepdaughter. And you know what happened to him? He ended up getting his head cut off. Same family. So here these people are coming in and they're trying to learn about what Paul is talking about. And if there is any moment that he probably could cower, right, where he could probably capitulate the gospel compromise, because like I know this family has a history of not really dealing well with what they define as zealots. And what does he do? He shares with them gospel truth. This is not Paul not understanding the context. This is actually Paul understanding, you know, every place that I'm in, God has placed me there to do one thing, which is to share gospel truth. That's actually the central message. As much as it is about how God orders our steps, the reality is, is that when God orders our steps, he's ordering them so that the purposes of God may continue and be glorified. And Paul realizes if he says the wrong thing or in this case, the right thing, that it could very well lead to him him being beheaded. And so I want you to think, you know, if anybody would have felt like they were excused from morality, a sense of truth, it would have been these people. So what does he do? Not only does he mention Jesus, but he says that Jesus is the only means of faith. He mentions that the righteousness of man, any righteousness we receive has to be credited to us by Jesus. But he also would have told them that there is no other way to righteousness, that there were no good deeds, that there was not an obedience to the law. There was not a ritual that they could perform that would have made them right before God. And then it says that he spoke about self-control and the coming judgment. And when he said that, Felix got rid of him. In the face of potential death, Paul stands and proclaims the truth that whether you kill me or not, you will be judged the same way that I will be judged. And that will be according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Most of us, if we're being honest, most of us wouldn't proclaim the truth In the potential of death. So how is it that Paul and so many other faithful Christians can proclaim truth in the face of death? He comes into people who had every pleasure and freedom at their disposal. And yet he knew that God had only brought him there for one reason. And that reason was to share the gospel at any cost. I've heard people quote ad nauseum. Y'all know, especially if you came black church, you've heard this. Your gift. What's your gift going to do? It's going to make room for you. Your gift going to make room for you. And, it, and you know the, the finishing part of that. And it's going to put you before great men. And I think we all know there is always like this superficial expectation, some self-serving in his own way. When we say, I'm going to have my gift and it's going to make room for me. But my question is, if your gift makes room for you, what exactly are you doing with it? Perhaps the reason. okay, I want you all to hear this carefully, because I really thought about this when I was writing a sermon. I was like, I'm going to put this in here. I'm putting it in there, but I'm not going to look at nobody. Perhaps the reason 
you haven't been brought before great men is because you are using your gifts for your own purposes. Yes, we want our steps ordered by God, but why do we want them ordered? Why do we want to preach all over the world? Why do we want to sing to the nations? Is it to glorify his name or ours? I never forget. You can look up these two clips if you want. But Larry, Larry King once hosted two prominent and yet very different pastors on his show. Now, at that time, his show drew, you know, millions of people at a time. Millions of homes would have seen Larry King and. He had a greater audience than either one of these two well-known preachers would have had at a singular service. I mean, you're talking millions of people. So Larry, in separate occasions, asked them both, was Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, if you don't know about Larry King, Larry King was, in fact, an atheist. And one of them said, I don't know, Larry. I know he is my way. But I don't know that I could say that he is everybody's way. That was a Christian pastor now. And he actually said in that clip, I don't know, 11 times. Which is like for a Christian, not just a pastor, the most direct thing you can say is, yes, Jesus is the only way. And so here he is being brought before great men with an opportunity to declare the truth. And he folds. Because he doesn't want to offend the audience of millions that he actually can't even see. Now, you know what happened? Some lady, like some Mary Joe that nobody would know, calls in and says, you know, I've been listening to you for years and I'm really disappointed. And on national TV from her phone, she says, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. There is no other way to heaven other than through Jesus. She emphatically declared that Jesus was the only way. Now, this other guy that was on Larry King was asked the same question, but not only was he asked, he was asked in the presence of a spiritualist with Larry King who and he unequivocally declared That Jesus was the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He did exactly what Paul did here. He explained righteousness. He explained sanctification and the penalty of sin. And you know what happened as a result? People hated it. And they called him arrogant. And they called him self-righteous. Do y'all know who the first man was? It was Joel Osteen. Second man was John MacArthur. There is no point in us rubbing shoulders with the elites of this world if it doesn't cause us to lead to sharing the faith. There is no point for our steps to be led in the path of great men and women if it is only to build our own kingdoms. Now, I keep referring to Joseph's life because Joseph's life mirrors Paul's life. But I do want you to see something. Everywhere that Joseph went, he took along with him his faith in God, whether it was with his brothers in Potiphar's house, whether it was in the prison or whether it was when he became second command in Egypt. His gift of administration at every turn and his integrity opened doors for him to show that his God was the true God. 
What happens here when Paul shares the gospel? Felix is scared and he wanted Paul to leave as quickly as possible. So here Paul is in prison. But look at this. He is sent back to prison and then he ends up staying there so long that Porcius Festus actually succeeds Felix, who end up being ousted. And again, Paul may have wondered to himself as he sat there two years, knowing the Psalms. God, is this truly what you have called for my life? Am I really being directed here? Look what happens in Acts 25. It says now three days after Festus had arrived at the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Now, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong with the, wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight days, eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. Have I committed any offense? But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried to the Jews. I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If I if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered to Caesar, you have appealed to Caesar. You will go. And so what's happening here now is Paul knows that the charges that were brought against him were illegitimate as he knew that. Festus would have known that the charges that were brought against him were illegitimate as well. And so as he realizes this, he says, no, what was going to happen here is that these same people who tried to kill me before are probably going to try to kill me this time. So, no, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I'm not going up there to be ambushed and killed. He says, but if I'm being charged according to the authority of Caesar, then take me to Caesar. Now, I guarantee you. Paul is not seeking here just to get his appeal heard. He is not seeking here just to escape prison. He's actually seeking an opportunity at the highest level to share the gospel. Of course, yes, it would have been of utmost importance at some point that he would have liked to have escaped prison. But I guarantee you here now that the main reason that he was going through this was that he knew that God had called him to share the gospel any and everywhere. And that's exactly what he wants to do. And once Festus conferred with his advisors, he realizes, you know what, this may be an opportunity for me to escape from having to handle this myself. So I'm going to pass him off. 
And what we're going to end up seeing in the life of Paul here is that he is going to be passed from person to person, from group to group. And inevitably, his being passed from group to group and person to person is going to get him shipwrecked. It's going to get him on an island where they're going to think he's a god. He's going to get bitten by a snake. And eventually, he's going to make it a Caesar. But the whole point that we learn is that at every turn, God had called him to share the gospel. My question for you is that in every twist and turn in your life, in every up and down, in every dark place, in every questionable place that you've been to. How have you stood for gospel truth in that place? When God has brought you before great men and great women. Did they know you for your great gifts or did they know you because you served a great God? Listen, everywhere that you go, everywhere that God takes you, every place that he makes you pass through, the reason he will do so is that God has called us all to one purpose. And that one purpose is to share the gospel and make his name great. How is God ordering your steps? How is God directing your path? Are you at a school right now that you don't want to be at? Are you working a job that you don't particularly like? Are you not working the job and you wish you would have worked a job? Have things happened to you? Are you in a place financially that you wish you weren't in? Do you wish this would happen? Do you wish that would happen? Do, do you have all these dreams and are those things working against what you desire right now? If that is the case then I would admonish you to seek God's purpose for you in those places. Because God has not called any of us. He has not taken any of us. He has not placed any of us and left us to ourselves. He may take us through the wilderness, right? We may go through some dry places and some dry seasons, but inevitably what we know is that wherever we go, he is there with us. And so as we close, I want to give you this encouragement. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what has happened in your life, but you serve a sovereign God who is preordained and orchestrated everything that happens in your life before the foundation of the world. That his thoughts and his ways are so much greater than yours and mine. And that if your life is getting challenging, if you've had to suffer some heartache, if you've ever had to suffer some loss, whether it's because of your sin or somebody else's, know that nothing that happens surprises God. It may surprise you, but it will not surprise God. And so we're going to pray. But as we pray, I want you to think about where you are in life, things that have happened in your life. And can you look back? at those little puzzle pieces. And can you see now? Oh, God, I did not see that you were forming this picture in my life. I didn't see that when that happened, that you were actually causing this thing to happen. And hopefully it will cause you to realize, you know what, God? You can do better with this life than I can. 
and I'll do my best to do what I can do. I'll try to make right decisions, but ultimately, every decision I make is in your hands. Whether I make the right one or the wrong one, I'm trusting that even the wrong decisions eventually will be right because you're right and I'm right with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you that we can look at the life of Paul. We can look at the life of Joseph. We can look at all these people who have endured faithfully for the gospel and and see God with clarity, like see very obviously that that you have designed and orchestrated their life according to a great plan and a great purpose, one that we don't necessarily see or are able to comprehend right now, but that you are working this out, God, for our good and your glory. Lord, we do not see fully. We know in part and we see in part and we see through glass, God, but we see through it darkly. But when we see you, we will be known as we are known. And we will see you with clarity. So God, make it, make it clear to us that you are designing our path. You have designed our path. God, if there's anyone who's here, who's watching, who does not know you, God, let them come to the knowledge of the truth. God, that you bore on the cross our sins, the sins that we were born here with and the sins that were condemning us for all of eternity, you bore them on the cross. And you have credited to our account your righteousness so that we don't have to suffer. God, if anybody is present and they don't know you, let this be the day that you intervene and that you reveal yourself to them. And just remind us that you have ordered our steps. It is in the master's name of Jesus Christ that we do pray. Amen.